0: Cast 99 at gmail.com reach out on facebook at quadcast or online at drquadjo.ca guys we're in the middle of the pandemic and these are trying times it's hard on our mental health our mental state and this is why i love our sponsor today better help they're the largest online counseling platform worldwide they change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to BetterHelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. Qualcast Nation. Welcome back. We are introducing Metabolic Health Week and we are doing a recast a recast with the one and only Vanessa Spina we talk about the benefits of ketogenic diets reason why i am rejigging this this is you know we're in summer 2021 we are in you know improving overall in a uh, covid situation but one of the lost narratives for me which you know um uh, how do i say this this that it, to me feels like a sin is that we have not talked about are like the importance of metabolic disease in terms of COVID outcomes, and trying to have that discussion on how to get collectively healthier. How do we improve our, our our health so that we not only when it comes to COVID, but when it comes to cancer, when it comes to cardiovascular disease, overall well-being? How can we get make these improvements? So we're going back with with Vanessa Spina, and she's an author. She is the host. Of the of fast keto with the ketogenic girl, you know. And in this episode, we talk about the pros and the cons of ketogenic diets when it comes to you know overall well being. To uh, even talk about whether it has a place within even critical care, which I, I, I thought was a fascinating part of this discussion. But overall, you know, is it for you? What benefits can you see? How quickly can you reverse metabolic disease? Like once, once again, guys. The thing that drew me to this is you could have diabetics coming off their medication in a matter of weeks with some of these approaches. And so, you know, I I think when you see what we saw and not being able to promote some of these initiatives, I think would be a sin. So without further ado, we bring back in a recast Vanessa Spina. Yo, check this, episode 57, Vanessa Spina, the ketogenic girl, okay? We're talking the benefits of ketogenic diets. Let's go. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quedro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Welcome back, everybody. I am Excited. I am stoked because there is so much exciting things happening in the world of solving healthcare, And we can't wait to continue to bring you this unreal content. As I've preached before, COVID-19, one of the best ways that we could do to combat that is become fitter, become healthier, improve our metabolic profile. So we are having on August 9th, 3.30 p.m., our first virtual summit on low-carb and ketogenic approaches to health. We got Joy Kitty, we got Ivor Cummins, and Dr. Paul Mason all making a guest appearance. $20 for the basic package, fifty nine ninety nine for our premium package, which includes recordings, audio, video, and being part of our Q&A session. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be glorious. Get your tickets while you can. I'm so proud of this event. Thanks for everybody that's contributed. One quick shout-out, shout-out to our fans in Perth, Ontario. Y'all have been reaching out like crazy. We love you. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much for the support. All right, let me tell you about our guest today, the ketogenic girl, Vanessa Spina. I am so excited. She is not only a podcaster, a coach, a sports nutritionist, an author of Keto Keto Essentials Cookbook, which we'll talk about in a second, and her show, Fast keto with Ketogenic Girl. Unbelievable. Great value in terms of the science of ketogenic approaches and, and intermittent fasting as well. And I thought she was a perfect guest to talk about. I think I thought she was a perfect guest to introduce our audience to ketogenic diets. And th- this to me, as I'm learning about it, I'm just continued to be baffled at this concept that people are coming off their diabetic meds, people are coming off their antihypertensives in weeks like not months like in weeks or some of these approaches and so I mean I thought we, we, we have a duty to bring this to you guys so in this episode she tells you her story in terms of why she got into a ketogenic diet in terms of improving her health and improving her metabolic profile we'll talk about the overall benefits in terms of weight loss in terms of mood in terms of energy we'll talk about some of the concerns and some of the myths when it comes to ketogenic diets my personal love we got to talk about the athletic performance and recovery some of the benefits of that and this took a turn that we weren't expecting but we also talked about in the ICU ironically some of the how we feed our critically ill patients and and wh- why we might be needing to think about the approach of these refined car- carbohydrates and how this might not be benefiting our patients so a lot to cover it was such a fun episode so without further ado, podcaster, coach, nutri- sports nutritionist, author, Vanessa Spina. Quadcast nation, I am so excited to bring to you the ketogenic girl, Vanessa Spina. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for the warm welcome. I am honored to be here on your show today.
0: Thank you so much. Is it, to me, this is a big step for us because, you know, we've talked a lot about different approaches to improving metabolic health. And I'm a, a huge fan of intermittent fasting. I've been doing that for um, over two years, two and a half years. But the ketogenic approaches to health have been a complete mystery to me. And I, I, I think there's a lot of upside, potentially, especially we we're just talking beforehand about COVID and, and how, you know, some of these approaches could benefit and improve their metabolic profile. But Vanessa, why don't we start with your story? I find it—it's—I it, I love your story in terms of how you got to where you are now. So, let us know, like, uh, tell us about your story.
1: Sure. Well, I used to work in finance. I had my stockbroker's license in Vancouver. I worked in a totally different sector, and. I just always had poor metabolic health. And I knew that something wasn't right because every day I woke up and it was like, what's going to hurt today? You know, like, Am I going to have a headache or a sore back or, you know, any infinite number of issues. And I also was carrying extra weight that I just couldn't get off, even though I was exercising all the time. And I was doing what I was told was the healthiest diet, which was actually a plant-based diet diet from the age of 17 so for about 17 years i was vegetarian and i really believed that that was you know the holy grail of health was to be plant-based and don't eat any fat you know really sort of minimize your proteins you know as much as you can to healthy plant-based sources of it and eat tons of carbs and i didn't realize that i was feeling like i was 90 years old in my twenties, you know, and I remember going to my parents' house and my dad's like, why are you so tired all the time? Like, why are you just laying on the couch? Like when I was your age, I had all this energy and I was like, dad, I don't know. Like, I wish I knew, but I'm just so tired all the time. And I actually found, I had tried every different diet and nothing had really worked for me, obviously, because I made it to plant-based like vegetarian, I think I had a couple years of raw vegan in there too, fruitarian, you know, all the things we're told are the healthiest for us. And if fruit and vegetables are the healthiest, most nutritious things in our diet, then eating all of them all the time must be the healthiest thing you can do, right? And I didn't realize how wrong I was. So I started finding different strategies that actually worked. And the first one that worked for me was intermittent fasting. And I started trying that out and having an eating window of eight hours in the day and fasting for 16 hours. And that made a huge difference. And then when I started doing a keto approach, which was about six years ago, they naturally go very well together because the more well-nourished you are and the less of a glucose or sugar-dependent like sugar burner you are, the more fat-adapted and ketone-adapted you are, the easier it is to fast. So the two really go really well together. And a lot of people who go keto end up naturally intermittent fasting because they forget to eat because they're so well nourished. And one of the main benefits is that your blood sugar stays extremely stable, whereas on a high carb diet, your blood glucose has these large excursions up and down, and when glucose goes up, it must come down, and when it comes down is when we experience feelings of hunger, and if you're on a high-carb diet, you're going to be hungry all the time, and your blood sugar will be rising and falling all throughout the day, so it's going to be difficult to not be irritable and have a stable mood and all of that, so there are so many wonderful things that can happen when you start to adopt a diet that is more made up of the macronutrients that we really need which are found in protein and fat and making those changes i finally saw drastic change in the way i felt the way i looked i had effortless weight loss i stopped thinking about food all the time and i just started feeling full of energy so i just couldn't believe the change it made and this happens to just about everyone who does this kind of struggle for years and then Finds low carb or keto, they become like evangelical about it because they're so excited and so happy about how much it changed their lives that they want to tell everyone, you know. And they, there's a, a meme on the internet of like Jehovah's Witnesses, and it's like a keto person going to people's door, you know, like, Can I tell you about keto today? And because <laughs> you really get excited about how much change can happen just from changing what you put in your mouth, and it's just like you were saying before, like. You're seeing people being able to go off medications and all these things, and it's just from changing what they eat, and it's, it's very simple. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's easy to do for most people.
0: No, that's that's beautiful, Vanessa. It like it's funny you said like. So one of our producers, Tanya Croft, she's the one that led me to you actually, and she. Was one of those like Jehovah Witness preachers every like <laughs> every day about the benefits, not only from the weight loss, but that she had, uh, she won't mind me saying, but from um, inflammation, autoimmune disease, that, that approach. And so, yeah, it, I, I, I could hear her in my ear right now, throwing down some some knowledge about uh, uh, the benefits. And so, just to be clear, Vanessa, from your standpoint, so you it helped in terms of weight loss it helped in terms of you know aches and pains how about like mood how about energy all those stuff were those altered as well
1: that was the biggest thing for me and you know one of the big problems with the diet that I was doing before, is that it was causing a lot of inflammation that I wasn't aware of. And we're now starting to understand the disease model is all rooted in inflammation. It's the root of all modern disease is inflammation and metabolic dysregulation. And I'm talking about chronic non-infectious disease that is out there. It's, it, you can trace it usually back to inflammation or metabolic dysregulation. So, the diet that I was doing, you know, like I said, was high carb. My blood sugar was up and down all day, but I didn't know why I would, my moods would go up and down with my blood sugar. I would get very irritable when my blood sugar was falling because when your blood sugar is falling, you feel like it's a, it's a very uncomfortable feeling for humans. We don't like to feel that way. And that's why, you know, I would have my breakfast. And then two hours later, I'd go down to Starbucks and get a snack and you know, a a latte. And then two hours later, I was thinking like, about lunch. And then after lunch, I was thinking about and I was always constantly thinking about what to eat, because my essential nutrients were not being met. And I was in this blood sugar roller coaster. And when you go off of that high carb diet, and don't think all carbs are bad. And we can talk about that. You know, just like with fats, there's good carbs, there's bad carbs, there's, bad fats, there's better fats for you. But when you get off that, your blood sugar becomes very stable and your mood does too. So I had huge improvements just in my mood stability, my ability to be patient, compassionate, and just more present. Because, you know, when you're fat fueled, you're not always dependent on more glucose coming in. Because we are fat storing <laughs> machines where we store so much energy on our bodies, but we can't tap into that stored energy. If you're not fat adapted and you're eating every two hours, you're putting your body constantly in a state where there is insulin is being secreted and insulin suppresses lipolysis or fat burning. So if insulin's constantly being stimulated all throughout the day, you're never going to get into fat burning mode where your blood sugar can become very stable and your mood can too, because you are fuel independent. You have your own fuel stores on your body and you can readily access them as opposed to running around with all this fuel stored on you and you can't access it because you're eating all the time. So you have to constantly eat. It's, it's quite a a bad cycle to be in.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and to add to your point too, like the, being like pro-insulin like I think even it 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 promotes fat genesis I'm I'm, I don't know I'm brain farting on the word lipogenesis (laughs) lipogenesis but so yeah like I think uh what you're saying makes a lot of sense so maybe um just like we're all four years old like what is it truly mean to be on a ketogenic diet? Because like, some people think like you cannot have an, uh you can never have a carb, it's got to be a specific carb. Like what exactly does it mean to be ketogenic or low carb or whatever spectrum you want to throw down Vanessa?
1: Spectrum is really the most important word that you brought up because there's lots of different stages and people think that you're either in or out, you know, that you're either burning fat or you're not burning any at all. And there's a lot of nuance in that because our bodies are so much more complex than we realize. But basically a ketogenic diet is defined in different ways, but the actual ultimate definition of it is a diet where your body is making ketones. And it's really fascinating, but your body makes ketones from fat. And it can make it from the fat that you eat or the fat on your body. And the reason it makes ketones is that they're tiny pieces of fat that are small enough to cross the blood brain barrier. So our brain is mostly fueled by glucose. But if we don't have a lot of glucose, Around our bodies will make ketones in order to keep our brain alive, and so it makes these tiny little pieces of fat which are ketones so there 's been a lot of hype in the last few years if you can drink ketones it 'll put you in ketosis not really if you drink ketones you 'll be able to measure them in your blood that 's basically what happens but the easiest way to do it is to restrict your carbohydrate and that level is going to be different for different people, depending on how active they are. So, a very active person can go as high as 100 grams of carb and even get a lot of the benefits of ketogenesis. But someone who's not very active and has been on a high-carb diet for a long time will have to usually keep them below 20 grams or low, 20 grams or below, of total carbohydrate in order to get themselves into ketosis. And so. Doing that will deplete glycogen, which is the stored glucose that we have in our liver and our mu- our muscles. Within a few days, you'll deplete that, and then your body will start making this secondary fuel, which is ketones. And it's really fascinating. People experience all kinds of benefits from ketones because they are signaling molecules in the body, just like a lot of other hormones in our body signal, ketones actually signal different pathways in our body. And some of those pathways are similar to some of the ones that we see in calorie reduction, calorie restriction, where people have longevity benefits. A lot of the benefits of fasting and all these things are activated by these ketones. So they're really amazing molecules, and the body makes them for us because it provides a secondary fuel source for the heart, for the brain. But also, I really believe that it's, Our bodies were just meant to be fueled by them on a regular basis. And it's our modern diets of convenience where we're eating a lot of glucose constantly that we just never tap into that bot, that ability that's built in to burn our own fat that we store for times of scarcity.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing I've been curious about, and you alluded to it to to a certain extent, like how easy truly is it to get to that state? Like, you know, like, I mean, as you mentioned, if you're more, um, athletic or you're more active, uh, you know, you allow yourself more carbs, but, you know, say for example, if it is at less than uh, hundred grams, do I have to, is that over a course of 24 hours? Is, do, is it like, do I have to be fasting for extended periods of time, for example?
1: No, so that would be in the day. And I mean, a lot of people know you can measure your blood glucose and ketones. So if you were to do, it typically would happen within anywhere from three to five days that you would deplete your glycogen enough that your liver would start actively making ketones. But there's also other hacks. You know, people, if you fast for 24 hours, you're going to deplete all your glycogen. So if you fast for a day, say you fast from Sunday night to Tuesday morning, which a lot of people do, they'll do like this metabolic Monday that's been popularized in our, in our community by a podcaster known as Metabolic Mike. So, if you were to fast for 24 hours, you would deplete your glycogen enough. But for most people, you don't need to fast. It's just three days, three to five days of keeping your carbs. I would start off by doing it as low as possible, so 20 to 50 grams. Per day, so that's just in a day, and then your body should start making ketones based on that. And for a lot of people, they also need to moderate protein at the beginning to just about like still a decent amount, but you moderate it down to probably around the average intake that people do right now. And a lot of people think that you need to eat a lot of fat, but it depends on your body composition. So if you have a lot of fat on your body, you don't really need to eat a lot of fat. Just eat the fat that naturally comes in whole foods. But if you don't have a lot of fat on your body, you do need to add fat in order for your body to be able to make ketones if you don't have a lot on your body.
0: Well, thanks. For, thanks for that, Vanessa. That's that's helpful. The one thing I mean, I don't want to make it about me, but I, anytime I've been relatively low carbon a day just by accident, say, because uh, as we talked about before, I love gluten. What like, you know, being three days low carb, it's got that to me, that's gotta be difficult at first. No.
1: Yeah. I think it it's just the change, you know, it, it depends on the person and, you know, if you've been doing high carb for a long time and you're used to eating a lot of carbs and you enjoy that, you know, the bottom line is <laughs> carbs are carbon hydrates and fats are hydrocarbons. So They're both just energy and one is much more dense and one is less dense. So that's why both carbohydrates and fats taste delicious. So a lot of people don't really have that tough of time with it. If you eat a lot of fats, you're going to be enjoying your food. It's going to be delicious in the same way that eating a high carb diet is, but you're not going to get that instant energy rush that you get when you eat carbs. But I really think that a healthy, low-carb or keto diet, you can get so many of the benefits just from doing low-carb. And I think it's just keeping your carbs to whole forms, like the real food forms, not the processed forms. And it's the same thing with fats. Like one of the benefits of keto is you focus on whole food fats. So, you know, saturated fats that come in the animal foods themselves, like the fat in eggs, the fat in meat, the fat in fish, they're all really healthy fats and you get rid of the toxic seed oils that are very inflammatory. And so seed oils and sugar, they're both very inflammatory in the body. So I think you can have a really well-rounded diet that still has healthy carbs in it. You know, if you're an active person, you can still have, you know, your sweet potato or, you know, rice or bread, but you just moderate it a bit and you don't eat that all day long. You know, they can have a place, but a lot of the people that that come to keto initially were not the athletes. We're seeing more athletes come to it now. And that's my specialty being a sports nutrition specialist. But at the beginning, it's more just people who needed to lose weight. And they're not athletes. They're not super active all the time. So if that's the situation, then carbs really have to be restricted in order to get into that state of ketogenesis. But if you're an active person, like you said you are, you can probably burn that off. So you know, you can
0: just measure it. But but you make a great point, it actually. Like a lot of this, I think, once again, personally, I find is like you, that gratification you get initially when you have, when you ingest <laughs> your carbs. And I mean, I think there's a lot of delicious ketogenic like recipes, dishes that can achieve these things. And maybe you could speak a little bit I know this is a big topic, but maybe even just personally, like a a typical choose whatever you want to choose, lunch, breakfast, dinner, like a typical uh, dinner that you would love to give people a sense of like how, like, you know, realistic it would be to to have this approach.
1: It's very realistic. Uh, I like to approach my diet as protein focused, protein centered and low carb. I consider it keto, you know, because I restrict the carbohydrate most days to somewhere between 20 to 50 grams of carb total in a day. But I can tell you average breakfast plates are so easy on keto. It's the easiest thing is bacon and eggs. If you like bacon and eggs. I love steak and eggs or burger yes. patties, eggs. Burgers, yes. and them breakfast. My language. <laughs> um, Eggs benny is one of the keto staples, but instead of the, you know, toast or the um, muffin, English muffin, you can make a keto bread with it, or you can just have more eggs and, you know, more salmon or more ham and hollandaise sauce. So that's a super delicious breakfast. I love to do a lot of steak myself. We eat a lot of steak and salad, steak salads, you know, cob salad, there's some of the favorite meals, burger salad. I mean, you're centering the plate around really healthy proteins, whether that's beef, you know, salmon, those are some of the you know best sources of protein that you can get, you know, healthy turkey, chicken, all these great sources of protein, and adding some low starch vegetables. So I love to have salad with mine. I usually pair my steak with a really nice salad and a really tasty salad dressing with it. And there's so many different desserts. Like I make a protein collagen ice cream that I love to have for desserts. You know, there's so many incredible foods. And a lot of the things are a lot simpler than people like would realize, you know, you can still have lots of mayo, you just want to make sure that your mayonnaise isn't made from canola oil; it's made from avocado oil, or it's made from, you know, a fat that is more stable and saturated fats. So it's really just the fats that naturally come in our foods, and that's why we want to eat whole eggs. You know, don't throw away the yolks, or don't just eat the whites. Um, you want to make sure that if you're having, you know, steak, you don't have to dip it in butter <laughs> unless you like that but you're eating the fats that come with the protein naturally. And it's just a really simple, healthy way of living. I love to have yogurt too as a snack. I like to do plain yogurt and you can add some stevia or, you know, sweetener to it. And you're just really cutting back on those like really sugary foods. Like a, a plain Greek yogurt is so delicious with a little bit of natural sweetener in it or some cinnamon And you don't ever really feel like you're sacrificing much um, on the diet.
0: I love it. It's really normal
1: lifestyle.
0: I mean, everything you're throwing down sounds scrumptious. We should also mention if you're going to go, actually, you might have said already, if we're going to go carb, like some of the low glycemic carbs, you mentioned sweet potato. Any other ones that come to mind? You also mentioned, I think. um, Well, sweet potato
1: it would be better for someone who's doing who's resistance or strength training. So someone who's doing strength training or as an athlete, then, you know, they're going to burn those carbs off just fine. But you know, like with my husband, he does a low carb and we like choose his carbs, you know, per day. So if he's going to have, you know, sweet potato with one meal, then the other meal, he'll just have, you know, bacon and eggs like for his breakfast or whatever. So you, you have an allotment every day, You know, of those carbs you can have and you just kind of choose them. Like some people choose to have like a really dry wine and then you know then don't have any carbs like with your dinner. So it's really simple, but a lot of the green vegetables are the lowest starch ones, the ones that grow above ground are the best for keto. So you know, all the green veggies, anything that you can find like in salads and Those kinds of vegetables are really the best. A lot of people like cruciferous vegetables, broccoli. People make everything and anything out of cauliflower. I mean, pizza, all kinds of things you can do with that. But the most nutrient-dense foods are animal foods. And, you know, I've got so many charts showing this. You know, you just look at, we are always told that the superfoods are like the blueberries and the kale and all that, but they pale in comparison to the amount of nutrients that are are in animal foods. And the absorbability, absorption of them is so low compared to animal foods. So that's why people start to feel so incredibly well and energized and good on these these diets because they're really nutritious.
0: I've been dying to ask somebody this question. Actually, there's two things. I just, I'm I'm busting them out. So I don't forget one the worry about having too much fat. You know what I'm saying? If you're doing a lot of animal meat and so forth, that's a first or second, but the, I've never had a good answer in terms of what is the added value of like, what are you truly getting from vegetables? This sounds so stupid. I know a physician's asking this question, but, is it are you getting that much more nutrients? Is it the fiber? Because what I'm hearing about the carnivore as your your like carnivore approaches, like I've been it's once again, it's not my approach, but I'm learning more about these things, is that they're saying you could get all your nu- nutrients from from meat. And so this is a very novel concept to me, because you know, medical school, you learn, you know, Canada food guide, you know, all the basics there. So You know, as as an expert in the field, I would love to hear your opinion on this bad boy.
1: Yeah, this is amazing. I mean, if you look at some of the charts side by side, comparing vegetables and plants, foods that plant foods that we are told are the healthiest for us, and you compare them to animal foods, you really there's really no comparison in how many micronutrients are actually in the animal foods compared to plant foods, and in some cases. There have been studies where some foods like someone was eating oysters and their absorption of zinc went down when they ate it with corn or beans like some of these foods can actually interfere with our absorption so you know some of the the superfoods that we know of are not really superfoods when you compare them to foods like oysters they're some of the, the healthiest foods in the world especially right now we're talking about zinc so much, how much we need zinc. It's one of the best sources of zinc out there. Liver. I eat every week liver pate that I make and it has every single nutrient in there.
0: Long it has, liver bate.
1: It is amazing. And if you look at the nutrient profile, it has every single nutrient virtually every single nutrient that you need. And in some cases just off the page, like four or five times the amount of vitamin A, you know, it's, it's absolutely incredible how much nutrition is actually in animal foods and not just liver. I mean, just beef, like just beef itself blows away like kale and blueberries and carrots and all these foods that we're told that have, you know, all the nutrients in them. So they have micronutrients in them, plant foods do, vegetables do, but that's not what we should be prioritizing to get our nutrients. You know, you can add them in. I add in salad for variety and flavor, but I know that my main nutrients are coming from the animal foods and not from the salad on the side. And it's amazing how wrong we've really gotten this and what a halo effect that vegetables have that they give to fruits, which they have (laughs) a lot of fructose in them. So again, if you're really athletic, great, you're taking in tons of energy. But if you don't move a lot in the day, and you don't get a ton of regular exercise, it's not a great thing to be taking in tons and tons of energy from fruit. And so it's really the animal foods that (laughs) they've been so maligned, especially red meat. And yet red meat is one of the best iron rich sources in our diet, you know, we need all of these minerals and micronutrients in order to thrive. And you basically don't need any vegetables and it sounds, it sounds pretty funny, but you know, all you have to do is look at a comparison chart between the two and you'll, you'll be blown away.
0: Well, this is, I mean, I'm slowly learning all this. Like once again, unfortunately as docs nutrition is, uh, is not well taught, you know, whether it's medical school or beyond, it's just, it's not a priority, which, you know, this is why we're talking about it now, but yeah, it's just, you, you, you've been told you got to eat your vegetable. I mean, I got three young sons, like boys eat your vegetables. You know what I mean? And, and, and yeah, you, you, you're slowly realizing it in terms of the value. So like, yeah, what, I guess the, the only value I could think of for the vegetables from what you're describing is maybe the fiber. Is, is that fair to say? Or what about like antioxidants and all that? Like, are you, when you say uh, micronutrients, are you including that as well?
1: Yeah. So, one of the people always talk about the antioxidants in fruits and vegetables, but the master antioxidant in the body is actually glutathione and it's made of three amino acids and we get it from animal foods. And it's one of the most powerful antioxidants that we can get, but we never talk about it. You know, it's it's so powerful and it's the master antioxidant in the body. And if you eat a lot of collagen rich foods, you eat a lot of collagen and a lot of meat, you're gonna get that, you know, from it. There's also re- research showing that in babies that were weaned onto meat instead of plant foods, they were associated with higher brain size. And so this actually made the Canadian government revise their guidelines and recommendations when the recommendations that that they made to weaning babies onto meat, uh, including meat as an option, because there was such an association with a larger brain size. So, I mean, you tell me where the (laughs) nutrients are, but the antioxidants you can get all of that from meat and and from animal foods. And, and I'm not saying, again, don't eat the, the vegetables and the fruit. I eat them. But you just want to be selective with the ones that you have. And if you are eating a lot of those foods, you know, especially fruit, you want to be moving your body a lot so that you can utilize that energy and it's not just like being stored and causing this excess storage of energy on the body, which manifests as... Excess
0: fat on the body. Yeah, I, I mean, that's great. I think even in our house, we lean more towards the vegetables over the fruits for that reason. Like, they're, I mean, the boys are active, so they could eat whatever they want. But, you know, I, mom and dad, yeah, you know, emphasis on vegetables over the fruit just because of that less of an insulin spike. But yeah, this is, this is golden stuff. What about the cholesterol tip? Like, people worry about eating too much red meat and, um, messing up their cholesterol profile. Any thoughts towards that, uh, Vanessa?
1: This is one of my favorite topics because cholesterol is the most misunderstood molecule in the whole body. And just when you start talking about cholesterol, people's eyes glaze over because it's been so overcomplicated. But it's very, very simple. I mean, our blood is mostly made of water. As you know, it's, it's aqueous. So we need cholesterol in order to act as these little fairies to shuttle different fats around in our bodies because they're not water soluble. So cholesterol actually acts as a molecule to ferry fats from our fat tissues, from our fat cells to our other organs to be utilized for energy. And so when people go on ketogenic diets, their cholesterol goes up. It's because they're using more of their fat from fat cells, so you're gonna see it more in the blood. But there's also so many other things about cholesterol cholesterol is so vital for the body all of our sex hormones are made from cholesterol from the cholesterol molecule it's a steroid molecule so all of our hormones in the body are either peptide hormones or they are steroid hormones and they're made from cholesterol and it's so important all of our estrogens made from it all of our testosterone is made from it and our bodies make about 1300 milligrams of cholesterol per day And only 20% of that comes from the diet. So if you're eating foods that are high in cholesterol, it's actually a good thing. But if you're eating a lot of it, your body will just make a little bit less that day if you get, say you eat more eggs on a day, you get more cholesterol from from the diet. And it's so important for our hormones that actually bodybuilders in the 1930s, they used to eat like 30 eggs a day because it was a natural steroid because they would get all this testosterone and all these sex hormones from eating all this cholesterol and it's been so so maligned and people think well hdl is the only good cholesterol and you know ldl is bad cholesterol but we need cholesterol so much and there's actually research showing the inverse that people who had higher ldl have lower mortality rates but now when we look at things doctors are told well you know these are the reference ranges for cholesterol if they're out of range you know you must prescribe a satin and statins, you know interfere with a lot of the natural healthy processes that cholesterol do, does in the body and it's made people so afraid of eating red meat of eating whole eggs these whole foods that are so nutritious for us and thankfully We're starting now to see revisions in this. So we're starting to see Harvard, you know, acknowledge that cholesterol is not bad for us, that red meat is not bad for us. All these institutions are starting to formally recognize these mistakes that were made. And it's so important because not only is this such an important part of the diet, you know, to eat these foods that have healthy fats in them, but it's also so important as we grow in life and, the elderly in our population who are so precious to us, they need more protein than an average um, adult does. So because we have so much muscle loss as people age, and it really causes significant deterioration in the body if there isn't adequate protein being provided. And people are afraid of eating protein because every time you eat protein, fat comes with it. And yet these are healthy fats. These are healthy foods
0: that we need to be eating man I I love that point you make about our, our elderly patients because you know we I mean it's going to just get worse right now like our baby boomers are getting into the prime time use of healthcare resources this is our whole area of research too and and the funny thing is like I, I don't once again I'm not my I'm not in the nutrition headspace but when you see these like boosts like for our older frail patients to have those those energy drinks boosts and so forth i don't know how much protein's in that bad boy but it it, i you're gonna think i'm crazy but we used to drink them when we were on call just like it's three in the morning four in the morning there's no food around you just drink a boost yes you could judge me but that tastes as sweet as molasses so i don't know what the protein content in that bad boy is but Maybe we really need to think about this. Like one of my colleagues, Darren Highland, he's he's big in the reti- uh, nutrition space in 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 critical care at, or ICU patients. But I, I I don't know if we talk about this. Like when you look at the, what we give our patients, it's a lot. It seems like a lot of glucose. Without me putting a lens on it, do you know what I mean? Like wh- maybe we should be, as you're saying, like really thinking about, hey, high protein fat. You know, maybe that's okay, especially if our patients are are, are frail. Like, it's a great point you bring up here.
1: So, so important because in order to trigger muscle protein synthesis, you need to hit a certain leucine threshold. And to hit that leucine threshold, you need about 30 grams of protein at a meal. And some of the highest foods, foods that are highest in leucine are all the meats, but also milk is actually the highest whole milk. And then like ribeye and chicken and you know, fish, all of these foods, they will they'll trigger the muscle protein synthesis because the amount of leucine increases in the bloodstream. And if you are not eating 30 grams of protein at a minimum at a meal, you won't trigger muscle protein synthesis. And it's so critical for children, for adults, but so much more for the aging population. And I love that you're saying that because all my prayers would be answered if, like, the approach to medicine started really shifting. And there's incredible work being done, you know, just even at McMaster's University, um, Dr. Stu Phillips, he's done a lot of great research on this. Dr. Don Lehman, uh, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, they've really studied this. They're some of the top protein researchers in the world, and they've been writing letters and begging, you know, institutions to be changing their recommendations on our food guidelines because they understand how important it is. So you have to meet that, that minimum in order to trigger muscle protein synthesis. And if that's in three meals in a day, that's 30 grams of protein at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that means no cereal and orange juice and bagels. and. You know, what are those toaster strudel things or whatever? That's not breakfast. There's no protein in that. That means breakfast has to have eggs in it. It has to have some kind of protein so that you can, you know, if it's eggs and steak or eggs and some milk, like whole milk or yogurt, like we need that at every meal. And most people are having orange juice and cereals for their first meal of the day, and it's setting you up for your blood sugar roller coaster to be going all day long and you're not going to meet muscle protein synthesis so i'm so glad to hear you you know talking about this because it's a total game changer
0: yeah because vanessa honestly like we every critically ill patient like first of all frailty is a killer like we once you start to get into that frail realm as we age like you're and we've our group has studied this many times your chance of survival your risk of Infections and morbidity, your length of stay, your cost to the system—all are, are higher. And we and and we see our patients con- constantly. Even you're 80 plus, you're in ICU for whatever reason. Two days later, you're you're. We already see you get lose your muscle mass. So, yeah, I really think we should re re think our approach I, and and rem- I might send you an email to con- just to the names that you mentioned the McMaster crew and just see what they're throwing down cuz like we got a pretty resourceful group for in terms of trying to create content and sometimes you know like I've been approached since we we were doing this conference about a couple of groups and saying oh we've been trying to get more increase the profile and let people know about low carbon keto and sometimes you just got to create the magic yo. like sometimes you can't wait for These organizations to back you up. Sometimes you just got to produce it, show what the value is, get the testimonials, and people will ride the train. You know what I mean? Because yeah, you. But you really got my mind grapes going there. Um, I love
1: that. And you know, you're speaking about frailty. Just one last thing: a lot of people don't realize that bone is mineralized protein. You know, they think protein is muscles, and it's muscles. And you can trigger muscle protein synthesis by eating lots of protein but your bone is mineralized protein. It's more than 50% protein. So if you're eating a lot of protein, you're going to strengthen those bones too.
0: Amen. Amen. Just because you brought up some of the research, let me know if I'm speaking out of turn a little bit. You know, certainly if I'm more in tune with the fasting world. Like there isn't that much long-term Studies to to show the benefits or what have you. Most of them are short terms or looking at diabetics and so forth. Have you come across anything long term or in terms of the benefits of of ketogenic approaches?
1: There's a lot of research out there. I can send you an article that is a meta analysis of 22 studies comparing low carb and low fats and low carb diets had better health markers more fat loss and better results in 21 of the 22 studies and in the only one that it didn't it had parity in the results so there's been a lot of meta analysis done on it you know doing in these done in these trials i think long term right now we mostly have anecdotal research but we also have all of human history <laughs> you know which is where people were mostly eating this kind of way and when people were mostly eating low-carb it's only in the last 100 even 50 to 60 years that we've had these lifestyles of extreme convenience and if you look at all of human history most of what we were eating was meats and some plant foods and that's basically low-carb and keto you know so if you just look at our history you can see that it's what's gotten us to here and now there's these very dangerous narratives coming up of like you need to be plant-based in order to be healthy and in order to save the planet and none of these narratives are really rooted in actual science in actual logic because you know if we had been eating plant-based humans probably wouldn't be here today and if you look at the science and you understand the biochemistry you know it's very simple to see this and you start making these connections and understanding it but I think that now we have some of the first studies. That are, there's the first study being done right now on carnivore diets, and I think that's going to be really exciting to see some of the results from. But long term, I think you just have to look at our our history, you know, and and you'll be able to see we've thrived on on meat for millennia.
0: Yeah, and, and the only reason I push it is because we got you know a lot of our audience is medical and and uh, you know docs a favorite question. What's the evidence? What's the what's the paper? What's the meta-analysis? And you know, I think that's part of the barrier in the medical community. But you got to start from somewhere, I think. And to your point about plant-based, so I interviewed a plant-based person, uh, Amy Longard, actually, a uh, couple days back. It was interesting to hear the different perspectives, and just because there's so much out there. Like we were talking a lot about the that I don't know if you saw that documentary, Game Changers like with the mixed martial artist showing the benefits of plant-based. So it got a lot of, got a lot of love. Like boys from back home that, you know, I'm from Alberta originally. So boys from back home were like, do you see this? I think I'm going plant-based, you know, like they're just just totally switching gears there, at least uh, short term. But uh, If you look
1: at the athletes, many of the athletes featured in that film have had sustained injuries since then and one of the problems with not getting adequate protein is you're not able to recover rapidly and we're seeing that a lot of the athletes that were featured in that film that happened and a lot of the science they used in the movie was debunked by doctors who are in the low carb space who showed things tricks and things that they did with testing the vowels of blood and they did it themselves and they showed like none of that stuff was real but in order to, to be able to recover quickly, you need to have protein and it needs to be from a good source. The amino acids in animal foods are made for us. The amino acids that are in plants are designed to grow plants. You know, so they're never gonna be complete, they're never gonna be absorbed the same way. And you know, I, I think it's just from being there myself from being plant based for 17 years and seeing my health deteriorate to the point where my naturopathic doctor who was a vegetarian recommended i start eating meat again you know he even knew like that you know if think i think you can do that lifestyle if you want to do it but in order to have optimal health on that you have to work really hard at it and make sure that you are replacing b12 you're getting all the protein that you need and all the fat-soluble vitamins and nutrients that you can't get. And vegan diets to me are very dangerous. It's very difficult to get all the adequate nutrition on it. At least with plant-based, you know, some people are pescatarian. They'll have some like fish or you know, eggs in there as a source of protein and choline and and all these B vitamins, but as a vegan, it's it's very difficult and I think very risky if people are raising their children or babies that way as well. But there's a lot of disinformation out there right now. And, uh, you know, if you study biochemistry, you can see and understand these things. And most physicians do study biochemistry. And that's why a lot of physicians like yourself are are kind of coming to this realization that, you know, it's all in, it's all in the science, you know, and you find your way there.
0: Yeah. No, well put. Well put. I, yeah, I just find it all fascinating how, you, you know, you, you're just getting it from both sides, but it's certainly the, the, in the movie, it's clearly biased, clearly not solid science, but it just got people thinking like people, people aren't naturally analytical, right? the, what one question I think we should really clarify is, like what are the like, in your opinion, downsides to ketogenic diets, or better yet, are there people that you think shouldn't go on it?
1: I think there's there's definitely always going to be contraindications. So you know you always want to make sure you explore it, do your due diligence, talk with your physician about it. But if you're doing keto, In the proper way. Like, there's lots of different ways that people do keto. Some people do keto with like a lot of convenience type keto foods, which are highly processed. And that's not necessarily going to be that much better. It'll probably be a little bit better. But the main goal is you're eating unprocessed, real food. And I can't think of anyone in the world that you could say eating just real protein vegetables, real food that's non-processed would be bad for any human being. I mean, that's just, <laughs> it's, it's whole foods that are unprocessed, un, unadulterated, you know, that's going to be good for all humans. And I think that when you look at keto, I, there's lots of different ways that people look at it. I look at it as a whole foods diet where you are removing sugar and grains and toxic seed oils and vegetable oils and those are four of the most inflammatory foods so if you remove those your health is going to benefit just from removing sugar grains inflammatory seed oils because it's going to lower inflammation in the body it's also going to lower insulin in the body so i think if someone we see a lot of people go off medication because of that, their blood pressure goes down. Because when insulin is lowered, the kidneys don't reabsorb as much sodium in the distal tubule. So a lot of sodium is released and blood pressure comes down. So people go off medication. But you know, if someone is on a lot of medication, it's you have to do these interventions with your doctor and slowly because the changes can be very rapid because it it can make a big difference. And if someone wants to live their lives without drugs and medication, in some cases that's going to be possible just from eating real food, a whole food diet. You know, I think that you can't really argue that removing sugar from your diet and, you know, inflammatory foods, it would be bad for anybody.
0: Well put. And I think it was a good point to emphasize too, which we alluded to before, but literally, you know, Hearing patients coming off of their diabe- diabetic beds, coming off of their their antihypertensives in weeks, like needing physician support just to make sure they're not getting too drowsy and <laughs> the blood pressure is not too low or they're getting hypoglycemic. Like, that's real crew. And this is, you know, in the context of COVID, is especially when we know these are risk factors for getting ill, like this is the time to to step up y'all you know, like to realize that you have options you know you really you like we're talking and like I said this isn't like eight months down the road you could have results in weeks so it really well put but any any side effects though like in terms of like the only one I could think of is like You know, initially, it could be difficult to like you hear about people having a difficulty initiating. I've heard people say that it could be like, I don't know, uh, forgive me for being frank, but constipating, like any things that come to mind that that also people could expect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We talk about conservation all the time in low-carb and keto. <laughs> it's a big topic. I talk about it on the podcast all the time. Dr. Paul Mason, who is in New Zealand, I've had him on the show a lot, and we've we've had a he's, lot of- He's, he's
0: going to be in the conference. Oh,
1: that's oh, great. Yeah, he's going yeah.
0: uh, August 9th. His,
1: his knowledge on cholesterol and on fiber and conservation and all of that is just- unparalleled he's he's so so good at explaining the concepts too but I think one of the things that can happen is people experience it used to be called like keto flu a lot of it is just sort of withdrawal from carbohydrates so people will feel like a transitionary period where they may be a little slower and a lot of that is actually just because of mineral loss so we talked about how when your insulin is lower your kidneys don't reabsorb as many of your minerals and electrolytes and so people then usually need to supplement with some sodium because we get a lot of sodium from processed foods, especially like there's more sodium in a McDonald's milkshake than there is sugar. So, and there's sodium in Coca-Cola, there's sodium in all these sweet everywhere. foods that we don't even everywhere. know it's
0: food.
1: It's everywhere. So when you cut that food out and you're just eating real foods, then you have much lower sodium that you're getting. So it's always suggested to you know, add sodium to your food, add salt to your food to taste. But if you look at some of the data out there, I have some charts showing that the current recommendations for sodium, as they are, are actually associated with the highest mortality, whereas lowest mortality is associated with around 20 20- Anywhere from 2,400 to about 5,000 milligrams of sodium in a day. So about two and a half teaspoons of salt is associated with the lowest mortality. And then even at double that, you still don't even have as high mortality as with low salt. So sodium is so important, as you know, for the sodium-potassium pump, for basically all of our cellular function. And so sometimes people will feel a little fatigued or off because they dropped a lot of their minerals. So people like to supplement with sodium. You can you don't really have to supplement with potassium because so much of it in beef, in salmon, in all these foods, which is why you salt your food to taste to balance it out. And people add in magnesium. So usually with constipation, it's a lack of magnesium. And it's, it's probably the main supplement that most people should be taking is some form of magnesium because Our food is so depleted of magnesium and it's so vital as, you know, for almost every function in the body, even, you know, our DNA replication, we need magnesium for almost every function. So supplementing with electrolytes, usually salt, makes a big difference. And that period of adjustment as you keto adapt, it usually only lasts a week at the most, but yeah, it's, it's very transient. And once you keto adapt, so you start, you know, making your own ketones and having access to your own body fat for fuel, you'll feel great. As long as you, you know, get your electrolytes balanced. That's usually the main issue.
0: Awesome. Excellent.
1: Another thing with hydration, I just want to say is it, it can be a delicate balance of finding that hydration because you want to drink, you know, half your body weight in ounces of water. And if you're not supplementing with sodium, you're going to flush out a lot of the sodium too. So that's why you also need to add it in.
0: Yes, I'm trying to do that math. So if I'm 200 plus 200 pounds, how many how much uh, water should I be drinking?
1: So about 100 ounces.
0: 100 ounces. So okay, I'll do the math later. 30 cc's per ounce. So yeah, three liters. Yeah, that's no problem. Yeah. Amaze balls and i got i got a selfish another selfish question um sure. athletes man like you 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 i mean i got a sports nutritionist in the mix i got to ask like are there clear upsides like we talked about potentially getting better recovery and stuff but yeah i just want to hear from the expert herself are there added benefits to going ketogenic as a i, I don't want to call myself athletic athlete but like someone that likes to to perform
1: right so it totally depends on the type of activity you're doing so if the activity that you do that you do say you're an endurance runner you're predominantly going to be running at 60 to 70% of your VO2 max. And that's where your oxidation substrate is fat. So if you're keto and you're able to burn your fat, you're going to do really well on ultra endurance on any kind of endurance sport, because you're really well adapted to burning your own fat. You're not going to hit that wall where most people, you know, about 2000 calories in, which is the most that you can store in glycogen in your liver. You hit that wall and then you just feel horrible so people carb load and then they go run and then they get to that point where, you know, they they have to push in to that fat mode. But if you're already fat adapted, then you're really going to do well in that. You really, really have to dial in your electrolytes if you're doing a lot of endurance for it because you lose so many when you're sweating. That's fascinating. Of-
0: Sorry to interrupt, but that's fascinating. That because like I think a lot of endurance athletes will experience, as you're describing, that like their that lull or whatever the term would be, where you're just like, "I need more juice," but yeah. if you're a fat adaptive, like less likely to experience it. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Sorry.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite athletes is uh, Sean Seiko. He's a keto athlete in South Africa, and we we have a lot of back and forth. I have him on the show a couple times, and he's a keto cyclist and. He just did a nine hour ride to raise money for the Tim Noakes foundation in South Africa. And he didn't refuel. He didn't pre-fuel, you know, he just used his body fat and he didn't bonk. He was just nine hours of riding and people can't get over it. They always think like, Oh, you're going to need these gels and these, you know, supplement packs and these glucose drinks and all these things. Like, You know, if you're drinking glucose with sodium in it, it will help the sodium get into your cell better because of the glucose transporters. But you don't need any of that if you're a fat adapted athlete. So there's a lot of athletes that are now coming out saying that they've been low carb. If you look at ultra endurance runners that bitter, he just broke two world records and he's a carnivore runner. And he does have some like low carb when he's doing training. But for the most part, he's a keto, low-carb, you know, meat-based athlete, and he's breaking world records. So, you know, there's benefits in performance depending on the sport that you're doing. You know, it it would be different if you're doing sprinting or, you know, you might want to be more glucose fueled. But metabolic flexibility means you can burn both, you know, fuels. So I think there's also benefits in recovery because you need protein to recover, And if you're eating a lot of meat and protein in your diet and a lot of collagen rich foods, you're going to be able to make those antioxidants. Like we talked about like glutathione and that's going to help repair and it's going to provide a buffer to all of that DNA damage or the damage that can happen during exercise.
0: And, and what about for strength training?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, protein is every bodybuilders, you know, main fuel, right? And, the more I've been doing this and the longer that I've been doing this, the more I myself eat like a bodybuilder and realize that even though I'm not, I'm not a competitive bodybuilder, I'm building my body every day with what I eat, you know? So if you eat a lot of protein, like I added eight pounds of lean mass in two years without doing any exercise. I was in school, you know, studying biochem and I, I added eight pounds of lean mass just by eating more meat, a lot more meat. And I had it in strength training in the past year because I'm now doing another body scan in October to see how much muscle I could add in a year, just adding all of this protein in. And that's one of the places that we're really seeing a lot of people joining this like carnivore or zero carb or keto is now in the athletic space because they're seeing this edge competitive edge that you can get in, you know, bodybuilders eat more protein than anyone else. And studies have been done by Dr. Jose Antonio on protein overfeeding studies where they saw there were no negative outcomes on the body from, you know, doing, from eating really high protein diets, even though people are so afraid of that, you know, in resistance trained individuals, protein is, you know, the best thing that you can have. So, people just seem to have like extreme gains and lean gains doing it this way.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and to further your point too, you increase that lean muscle mass, you improve your metabolic rate. Like there's a lot of upside by upping your lean body, lean uh, muscle mass. So commend you for your efforts. That's, that's awesome. I, Vanessa, I, I thoroughly, enjoyed this conversation i you know as someone that is keto ignorant that <laughs> is you know hearing a lot in the nutrition space is new to the nutrition space your your information your knowledge you 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 was incredible you're queen of this babble <laughs> and uh, i i really appreciate this conversation and in fact i I'm, I'm putting it out in in the universe that we have to have you back we have to have you back.
1: To. Anytime. Uh,
0: and where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so you can find me at my podcast is called Fast Keto. I have a weekly podcast where I interview protein scientists and doctors all around the world on keto and protein. My Instagram is where I share a lot of updates. Uh, it's at ketogenic girl, and YouTube is the same ketogenic girl. And I share a lot of vlogs there. I share like what I eat in a day and, you know, what I, my fitness routines and different, you know, interviews and science behind all of this stuff. And yeah, I love that I get to do this.
0: Absolutely. And guys, I got to, we'll point you towards a two-parter with Rob Wolf. We, I thoroughly enjoyed that episode, learned a lot too. So yeah. um, Oh, and I should mention. Yes, you can't forget the book.
1: (laughs) It's called Keto Essentials
0: and on amazon We'll, we'll have links in the show notes as well vanessa keep killing it i love it we were so excited to have you and and what a privilege so thanks for thanks for joining us
1: thank
0: you so so much for the invitation absolutely thanks everybody for listening being part of our metabolic health week an episode every day this week in terms of metabolic health thanks so much for listening Those that haven't signed up for Solving Wellness, check us out. SolvingWellness.ca, our attempt to reduce burnout among healthcare providers. we got online workouts, yoga sessions, cooking classes, nutrition tips, mindful meditation, and dress management. And we're just really creating that sense of community so that we can collectively change that boogie. Know what I'm saying? Leave any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at Quadcast, for real. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes and Spotify. helps with the visibility of the show. Tell a friend, yo. Be part of the movement. You know what I'm saying? Thanks so much, and we'll come back again real soon.